This is Adia. And Aisha. Join us on this podcast journey where we have an existential crisis one episode at a time so you don't have to. But why do that on a podcast, you ask? Because it's better than journaling. Okay. So get comfy and fill your teacup with whatever it is you drink because it's time for an episode of Better Than Journaling. Good afternoon, Miss Adia. How you doing? Well, hello. Good afternoon, Miss Aisha. I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. I'm having a great day. How are you doing? Oh, you know, same old, same old. Sundays are our recording days, but they're also private practice days. So by the time we start talking, oftentimes I've been talking for six or seven hours. But, um, and then usually we talk for like an hour or so before we start recording. So I don't know, it's a good day, but you know, I saw the Lion King yesterday with my daughter. It was so good. Have you ever seen it? Do you, do you do musicals or anything like that? Uh, I mean, it's not something that I have like, uh, it budgeted where I save money so that I can go see, you know, those type of shows or anything. Um, but I did strongly consider emailing uh, when those tickets to the Lion King came available at, you know, at the uh-huh, at our job. Uh-huh. I was like, ooh, I should totally do that. And then I should have just done it, but then I didn't do it. And so then, no, I didn't go. So the answer to your question is like, yeah, if I were to get invited to something like that, I would 100% say yes, and I would go, and I'd have a great time. I do not think of those things on my own to go look at those theaters or production companies and figure out what their, you know, I don't know, calendar looks like for the season and then book those types of things for myself. Oh, I love musicals. I don't, I mean, it's kind of expensive these days. It's not like, you know, like a baseball game where you can get $20 tickets or something like that. It's kind of expensive, but, um, but I love it when I can, and it's a show that I really like or want to see. I try to do it, and I try to get my daughter interested in that so she can have some theater-type culture in her life. That's awesome. That's really, really wonderful. Pause for it. So that's pretty cool. I think that that is, I know that's not something that I grew up with, um, so I think that that's pretty awesome that she'll grow up with the experience of going to the theater and knowing about musical theater. I didn't know musical theater was a thing. I mean, I knew that there was choir and what's the other name of the class in high school, the elective or team that you could participate in was like choir um, and something else. And there were plenty of kids and theater. Yeah. Choir and theater. And it was always the same kids that were participating. Um, and I didn't get it, and I never actually, maybe I went to a couple of plays or something while I was in high school, but I never got it, right? If you're not involved, if you're not in that world, I don't know that you actually know what it is that you're missing, and I never paid attention to any of that when I was in college or, you know, anything like that, and so it wasn't until I was at one of my uh, first jobs here in San Diego, one of my coworkers had uh, participated in a musical theater uh, group, and she just was all in on it, and so I came, I went to go see one of her shows. My camera was called right now. And it was so good. And I was like, damn, this is kind of, this is kind of cool. You know, like people are out here. What was it about? Production. What was the show about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, <laughs> things. 
<laughs> I, uh, I got into theater in high school because I was I was in production in high school, but I've always been a behind the scenes person, right? So I was a I was in charge of props, I think, my freshman year. And then starting in sophomore year, I was set construction and uh, stage manager. And so, you know, I've been bossy for a long ass time. Right? So, but I've always loved it. And nobody else in the school that wasn't part of production was super into what we were doing. And I was like, you know, the same way that I went to an all girls school, the same way that we would go to the basketball games or to the volleyball games or whatever. Like those who, people who weren't involved in that paid a lot of attention to it. And nobody who wasn't involved in theater paid a lot of attention to the theater. And I was like, we're doing some of the hardest work in this school. Like there's so many varied skills that go into being able to put on a production. And I, I think nobody had any appreciation for it at all. So now when I go see a show, not only am I looking at like, what a great performance. I'm looking at who's on the lights and who, who built that set and who, who's blocked this number and all this kind of stuff. Like it's, it's all really fascinating to me and really exciting, but it's, I don't even know how I got involved, how I first got involved. Oh, I remember when we toured the school when I was in eighth grade, uh, this, they, they would recruit students, you know, because it was private school. So they would be recruiting students. And one of the things that they did was uh, their production company that year was doing Little Shop of Horrors. And they like did a little short performance for us. And I was like, I want to go to this school because I want to be part of that production. And then uh, my first year in, we did a musical called Ain't Misbehaving, which is a great musical, but it's not very high school appropriate. Like it's not all that interesting to high schoolers. So I could have been completely out of it after that first year because we did kind of a boring musical, but running the stuff behind the scenes was just really exciting to me. So it made it more interesting so that I could get into the, um, into the productions that I was, that were more fun for high schoolers. Uh, Amos Behaven is a cabaret show. Like what ninth grader is like, sure, let's watch Nell Carter sing fucking opera. Like it's just not all that exciting, <laughs> but it was a good show. It was a good show. But it, I mean, it feels like something the kids in my community were not doing. We were not doing theater. We were not going to watch musicals. Like certainly we were into music, we were into dance, but we weren't putting that together and looking at it like, oh, let's go watch a musical. Let's go see Peter Pan on stage. Right. So you all. just did something recently that people from my community didn't do when I was little, which has taken a solo international trip. I haven't even heard about it yet. How did it go? Oh, yeah, I sure did. Um, you know, it was life changing. You know, um, well, shit. I experienced that feels like itself. a big deal. I don't know what I thought you were going to say, but life changing wasn't what I thought. Now I feel like I should have asked you a while ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not even about the destination. You know, the destination was great. It was beautiful. And uh, it made me appreciate um, parks and green spaces just in my environment that mm. I can walk to and access very easily and openly very much. So I know that, you know, for me, the next time I'm in the market for real estate, there will be you know, like, you know, like within like a one mile walk of like green space, like real rich green space um, to where I live, because 
I really appreciated that way of lifestyle, walking around and seeing really beautiful things, not just, you know, multi-lane roads of, like, concrete and parking lots and just industrial Mm -hmm. stuff. Like, that's just not a vibe. Um, But I got to experience myself in such a different way uh, during this trip than I do on a daily, weekly monthly basis that was really freeing and empowering and validating and uh, rewarding. Um, So, yeah, it makes me smile just even thinking about, like, the adventures and how brave I was and um, how much fun I had and the really cool interactions I had with strangers and zero you know, responsibility or commitment to, like, their needs or trying to take care of them or anything like that. It just was really about me and what I wanted and what I needed and finding different ways to meet those needs and being super proud of myself for all of the risks that I took. So it was really, it was really great. It was an awesome time. I would strongly recommend anyone take a solo trip, no matter how far or how long it is, to just decide to go somewhere that is not maybe familiar to them and do some level of exploring on their own um, and surprise themselves. Yeah, it was a, it was a really, really good. Why, why is the on your own part of it really important do you think? Because at home, I do a ton of things on my own, kind of daily, you know, survival, um, sense. I do everything on my own. Well, not everything, but um, all of that stuff is really routine and familiar and usually not that challenging for me. And the opposite is true of travel. I have always traveled with someone else. Um, I've always traveled with someone else, whether it be friends or family or partners. Um, even if I leave my city on my own and go somewhere else, I'm going to go connect with friends, family, whoever. Um, and so it's always this like partnered experience of whatever that time is. It's always, um, a collaboration or a compromise. And I have found that sometimes I'm Mm -hmm. doing things that someone else wants to do. If I'm not really motivated to do it, or I don't do something if someone else is not necessarily motivated to do it, or, just or, 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 right? And I, I know that for me, it, my, 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 my largest fear around traveling on my own was that I wasn't going to really get out and, and explore and push myself to explore this new environment or, you know, the culture or the people that I would create a safe zone for myself. So whether that is like my hotel and, or whatever my accommodations are and, like, a place to eat and, like, maybe a museum. I don't know. Whatever it was, like, nearby that I got, you know, interested in, I would go and I would do those few things and then I would be back in my hotel room, like, watching TV or something. Like, that would be my safe space. And I was terrified that that was what I was going to do and I would just really limit myself and not actually – like, I could have just stayed home for that, right, versus spending all this money and traveling all this distance. Mm-hmm. And that I didn't do that. I, I – push myself to, you know, take the cooking class and go to the flamenco show and go to the museum and do the city bike tour and do a tapas tour, like all of the things to get me more acquainted with the city, to 
have me learn things more about the, you know, local history to see through different eyes and perspectives and put myself outside my comfort zone over and over and over and over and over again. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was really cool. It makes me want to do that more locally. There's plenty of places in San Diego that I don't know anything about that I've never been to. Um, and so I'm, I kind of have a level of excitement for learning more about each of the small little communities here and um, having a little bit like of adventure every now and again that is really kind of easy to get to. So, yeah, on my own, figuring out what I like and what I want and what I don't want and why, and watching myself figure that out was, yeah, that's really cool. I mean, the last time we talked about your potential trip before it actually was a trip, I talked about how uh, you seek out adventure and you seem to be somewhat comfortable and confident seeking out adventure. And I feel like I've always grown up thinking that certain things, certain people, certain places are not for me. Um, and, and I don't know if you ever felt that way too, but you don't move through the world like you think that certain things and places aren't for you. Like a solo trip is something that, a solo trip, a solo international trip is something that other people do, that other people get to do. Musical theater is something that other people get to do. And I'm saying other people, but if, I'll, if I'm being honest and specific, it's white people get to do that kind of stuff. That's white people's shit we might say in my neighborhood. Mm hmm that white people shit you know that's been on my mind too <laughs> that's um you know you you know when you said you know you're I see you as like an adventurous person I had to like sit back and the first time we said I had to sit back and think about like am I and I was like I mean I I guess I am you know um I guess I am um as compared to whoever and and how I could be in the world and um there aren't, I can't think of too many times or situations where I felt like this is not a space for me, um, like that I would be maybe side-eyed or maybe at the extreme, uh, you know, opposite of that, like accosted for attempting to go or be somewhere that wasn't for me. Um, it's rare that I feel that way. Sometimes like in the dating sphere, I might feel that way. Um, but yeah, other things like that, like travel or <laughs> like, I mean, there are some things that maybe I would say or white people should that other people wouldn't say, or maybe people would be on the same page, but like learning how to golf or wanting to learn how to fly a plane. Like those are all things that are goals for me um, that, Lots of other people of color are like, what? Why? Um, but yeah, I, there are lots of other things that I think are uh, like culturally speaking, like colloquialisms, right? There are people like, yeah, that's not white people shit. Um, like camping and sleeping on the ground. That is not anything that I have any desire to do. There may be some places that I want to go <laughs> visit and see. And if it requires that I will be sleeping on the ground, like I just probably won't be doing that you know as I said I don't <laughs> need to have that experience in order to go and see and you know be in this environment maybe a YouTube video will do it for me you know I don't know but like they're just I don't and, I, and I'm going to need a shower you know a really nice 
clean shower, you know? Uh, yeah, there's just like, um, there's some things where it's just like, that's, that's not for me. And I don't know why that's for you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I just feel like I got messages and I continue to give myself messages at this point that certain things are just not, like I said, for me. And I have this one client, former client actually, uh, who just has had a real glow up in the last few years. And one of the things that she told me years ago uh, was that, you know, she wants to skydive at some point. She said something about, you know, everybody's like, that's some white, white people shit, but I'm a, I'm a skydive one day. And just like, I don't know, maybe two or three weeks ago, I haven't seen her in like a year, two or three weeks ago, she sent me some pictures of her skydiving. And she, she was just like so happy and so excited to have done that. And she referenced that, you know, people had told her that that's some white people shit, but she's like, I'm, I'm tired of being in this place where things ain't for me anymore, you know? And I was just like, really, I don't know. I just felt really inspired by her and that, that attitude that that's something she wanted to do. And she did it by herself. She just went out and was like, I'm going skydiving for my birthday. And she went out and did it. And I was just like really inspired by her. Yeah, I do think that, you know, when I hear those messages from other people about things that I want to do or that I feel really comfortable and confident about doing or have a desire to do and people feel that that like people should, like that doesn't really, um, I don't think it phases me only because I grew up hearing references about like white people should or speaking like a white person, oh, you sound white or oh, you think you're white. I grew up with that, you know, in, in, in high school and whatnot. So for me to have somebody make comparisons of the way that I live my life or um, or question my Blackness um, isn't really, I don't know, it's not new. That's not news to me, you know? So um, I'm not often surprised by it, but it is interesting how there are some messages that I give myself about things that I'm like, yeah, no absolutely not. Or I'm shocked or stunned by someone else who says, this is their get down. This is what they love doing. And I'm like, why, what? <laughs> I don't quite understand that. Please help me understand. And then I still don't understand or I can't relate. Or I'm not interested. Um, you know, it was interesting not so long ago. I probably saw it on a social media post or something, but it was almost like um, challenging that idea that all of the like good and healthy things in the world also seem to be synonymous with like white people shit. You know, like going to the doctor mm -hmm. and the dentist regularly, like mm -hmm. contributing to your okay. Um, uh, what else? Like, I don't know, buying a home. It was just like there were a lot of things, like and traveling or, you know, whatever. So many things that seemed out of touch for people of color or people like, you know, living in an urban neighborhood or just lower socioeconomic status that like lots of things like getting a massage or trying acupuncture or meditating, right? Like all of these things, like there's such a long list of things that just were automatically like white people shit, yoga, whatever. It's like, that is absolutely not white people shit. Like that's the opposite, you know? Um, but that that is the belief and that that maybe is like either a barrier or an excuse. Interesting point. Is it a barrier or is it an excuse or is it an excuse? I feel like, there's a strong possibility that in my childhood, when I heard these things, like 
you know, the things my daughter has access to right now, simple things like Girl Scouts, like we didn't have a Girl Scout troop in my neighborhood, like that wasn't a thing, you know, so camp, I've never been to camp in my entire life, you know, sleepover, yeah. there, there were just things that were not safe where I was from. That is not 100% true today, but my mind has not necessarily transitioned to the point where it's like, you do have access to these things. I've we never went, oh no, yes, we did, 1984. 1984, <laughs> we went on a family vacation. Don't laugh at me. What was that, 40 years ago? 1984, we went on a family vacation to Belize. 38. Where we all went. Whatever, however many lines. Math is not my thing, I'm a social worker. But that was <laughs> the only family vacation my family of origin has ever been on, ever like ever in our entire lives. We didn't do things like family vacations. There were, there was not enough money and too many people. So in my mind, vacations were things that rich people did and rich people were white in my mind, right? You know, so camp, Girl Scouts, things like that. Those were, those were things that were not accessible to me when I was younger. And now they're accessible in my, they're accessible to me financially. But part of my mind is still like, Am I doing things that are not of my people? You know what I mean? And I'm doing them. I'm going to do them, most of them, it's particularly as it relates to my daughter having access to opportunities. Yeah. Um, but they just feel like, I don't know, Born. they don't just don't always feel like they're for us. For them, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. And, you know, it makes me think about like swimming and public pools and swimming lessons and how all of that by design was put out of reach for our people, both like socially and legally for quite some time, not that long ago. And so there is a kind of like a stink that's on it because of the amount of pain that was associated with trying to access something like that. And it was a matter of safety, life and death right, um, to try and engage in these things that had been identified as like white people things. These are not for you, these are for white people. And we will create policy, law, social norms around very specifically limiting it to the access of white and benefit of white people so that you will know that it's white people things. You won't be confused about it. So I think like there are some things like that that it sounds like so it seems like it was a lesson. It was something that was passed down from one generation to the next. And it wasn't that long ago that they were, you know, segregating and draining public pools so that black kids and black families could not access them. And so the fact that mm -hmm. lots of black people today cannot swim, who've never learned how to swim, is not that surprising, you know, or the fact that they use dogs to attack and apprehend, you know, black people in the streets and why a lot of black people are afraid of dogs and don't have dogs and think that that's white people things, you know? So it's just, there, there are roots, very recent roots in some of these things that get identified as white people things. Um, but like, there are so many other things that it's like, where did that come from and how, who created that norm and how does it keep getting, you know, carried down and, and the people who push, who balk at that and push back and do some things outside of the cultural norm. Where does that come from too, you know? So, yeah. And what do you think? I think, 
I do think some of it is rooted in a generational historical lesson of safety. Yeah, I for sure think that, I for sure think that it comes from, I know for me, it comes from history. It comes from the grownups in my house when I was little saying things like that. I'm more curious. I mean, it makes sense to me, epigenetics, history, trauma, all that kind of stuff. So that all makes sense to me. I'm more curious or wondering about what does it mean for the me today who does have access but has mental blocks more than I have, uh, you know, economic or physical blocks. So uh, before we before we go to break, I guess I want to ask a quick question. Just to think about before we go to break is at what point does does our history, our experience, what we've what we've been through, and what's epigenetically coded into us. Um, once we have some knowledge about about this um, and about what our history has taught us, and that what we've learned is dysfunctional in some ways, at what point does the history become an excuse to keep us from accessing the things we now have access to? Uh, that that historically we didn't, but now we do. Um, yeah. And we're still at this point calling it white people shit when we, when we could potentially have access to those things if we wanted it. So that's what I want us to think about uh, while we go on our break. Hey friends, ever thought about making your very own podcast? Have you avoided it because it seems too complicated or you don't think you have the right equipment? Or maybe you spent all your Biden bucks on an air fryer and then a Peloton. Well, maybe you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let us explain. If you're like us, a busy professional, and you don't have fancy equipment, you need to make this podcasting thing as easy as possible. Anchor is definitely a one-stop shop for all of your podcast needs. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. We taught our non-tech savvy selves how to record, add music, take out the dead space, and all that awkward stuff we wish we hadn't said. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcasts on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. But you got to tell them the best part of Dia. Oh yeah, Anchor is totally free. How much? <laughs> That's right. It's totally free. All right. Do it now. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Anchor.fm. Go there now. All right, we're back. So the question is, let me ask it a little bit shorter than I just asked it. Um, what's, what's a real barrier at this point? First, because there are some real barriers, but what's a real barrier at this point versus an excuse to not pursue things that maybe scare us a little bit. Yeah. And is like, is my fear a real barrier, right? Like, you know, are, are my fears like rooted in something? So for instance, um, lots of my friends, my adult friends, like don't have and have never had a passport and, you know, we are children of people who are foreigners. So having a passport is very normal for us, right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't think that that mm -hmm. is super for just black people, right? Um, so I do know that 
I know that part of the reason why you and I have passports or have done some travel is because of that. Um, because our, our parents were not born here and had to cross, you know, some sea to get here. Now, mm-hmm. when I think about, you know, so I'm, I'm getting ready to walk the line again, but I think about, you know, people whose families have been on this continent for, for generations, you know, we think about like the green book, right? Like traveling just even interstate or intrastate wasn't always safe. So saying put in your home, in your community, mm-hmm. around people who you, who you could trust and who where you were welcome was something that was a matter of life or death. And so venturing out, like, for what? Why? Like, there's nothing right. for you out there. And so it, it, it becomes very um, normal and healthy to stay within your own lane and not venture off too far. And so I can see how you know, generations of people not traveling and just staying in the same zip code, same neighborhood, same block, right. doing the same thing is is very much the norm and safe and, and what you should expect to do with your life too. Because what, what what are you looking for? What's out there? What do you think is out there? There's nothing out there for you, right? And also mm-hmm. beyond out there for you, it could be very dangerous for you. And like, why do you need that, you know? And that's not something that I was raised with. That's not that's not a fear that was instilled in me. That is not something that I was brought up to be fearful of. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have that fear. I don't have that fear of going to new places and uh, feeling unsafe. The times where I have felt, un, you know, even considered whether or not I would be safe traveling has been related to identifying as LGBTQ. Like those are the times where I feel hesitant. Like if I'm traveling with a partner or if I present as, you know, more masculine than feminine, will there be something that someone that wants to say something to me um, or do something to me because of their notions or their beliefs, right? So, but it's not been about because I'm, well, that's not true. I don't, I don't have any desire to be in fancy. Like I don't have any desire ever to go in fancy. <laughs> Not because I'm black. <laughs> um, and, you know, maybe there's some times where I'm more conscious of where I'm at late at night alone walking because I'm female. Um, but in general, I do not live my life not doing, not going, not attending things and places um, because of my identity. Yeah. Yeah. I I do have some fears about like let's say traveling alone and and that sort of thing. But I wonder for myself personally, and this is, you know, people, fear is real, trauma is real, and the the consequences of those and the behaviors that those lead to, I don't want to minimize that at all. It's a real thing. So I don't I want to be really conscientious that I'm not saying, you know, you're just making this shit up. You just don't want to, you know, excuse is kind of a harsh yeah. word. Right. But I wonder to what extent I have convinced myself that I don't want something because I don't think it's, it's supposed to be mine or because it never seemed accessible. So, you know, everything from, I like that boy, but he would never go for somebody like me. So actually he's kind of ugly to, I would love to travel internationally, but I'm never going to be able to afford that. So why would actually traveling internationally feels too scary? Why would I want to do that? You know, so, so any, on, on, on many levels, 
it would be really discouraging to spend your life wanting a lot of things and never being able to have any of them. So I wonder if there's some level of convincing yourself that you don't actually want it so that you don't live in discouragement all the time. Yeah, I think that there is a very healthy practice, a very well-cultivated practice of people diminishing things and situations or opportunities where people absolutely could experience themselves in different ways and have a ton of joy and excitement and um, learning, um, but they completely dismiss that there are opportunities for all of those things to happen in these new situations or settings, um, and they focus on all of what, you know, might be very real, um, you know, things that are scary or dangerous or you know, unpredictable for them that are much more likely to occur than all of the other possible positive possibilities that can come from those situations. So I think people are very, very keenly aware. They're, yeah, they're keenly aware of the things that, the, 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 the triggers, the stressors, the dangers that are associated with things that are like white people shit. And they have no frame of reference of what the positive qualities or possibilities are attached to it because they don't have maybe a model of somebody who looks like, sounds like, has lived like them, has ever done it before. That's mm-hmm. the other part. They've only heard the scary side of the story. They've never maybe heard of the exciting, fun, new side of the story. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess that probably probably lands in other realms, too. The, the, the first one that comes to mind is uh, along the lines of gender like that we might've gotten messages when we were young that certain things were boy things and certain things were girl things. And so Mm -hmm. people don't maybe pursue something that they could be really interested in and passionate about because it's supposedly not for them. Yeah. I think about how many um, (laughs) like peers that I've had that have never tried sushi um, (laughs) who are like convinced that it's, disgusting uh, or gross or whatever um, or just even just and, and, and other types of cuisines maybe they've never tried Jamaican food or whatever like they've just not tried lots of things and, and are also like ew gross and I'm like how old are you six you know so mm-hmm. um, there's that assumption that it's going to be so undesirable and that they're going to have a a really negative experience they can't even fathom or imagine that it could be positive whereas I am very uh curious and adventurous when it comes to food like I'm I, I it's super rare that I'm I'm fearful about trying something related to food and I actually can't even think about anything that I have like been proposed or invited to try where I'm like mm, you know like that's just not probably just intestines, because I knew it was intestines, right? If I didn't know it was intestines, I probably would have tried it. Um, but yeah, there's not there's not a ton of things, or like chicken feet. So there's no way to make chicken feet look good. They just, they are chicken, chicken feet. Chicken feet are delicious. Just, oh, God. I just will not know, because <laughs> look the way they look. <laughs> just, so I'm, I'm not uh, super adventurous with food, but I, but because I grew up in a, in a, country that was not my family's own country and 
with foods that were weird, quote unquote, weird to other people. I don't consider other people's or other cultures food weird because mine has always been somewhat different, but that doesn't mean I'm trying to try everything. Me and Maya went to uh, Pokey for lunch before we went to the Lion King. And I sat there thinking again, like I've told you before, that you introducing me to Pokey was just really a solid investment in our friendship. I knew you loved me when you took me to Pokey. And I was just like, wow, this is a good friend. Cause she could have totally hoarded this resource. You didn't. I appreciate that about you. <laughs> and, and here I am sitting across from my nine-year-old eating raw fish. That would not That's have right. been a thing. First of all, there were too many of us. We could not have afforded fast yeah. food, quote unquote, that was, you know, 16, $17 per person, you know? Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. And, and even that, even that idea, Ms. Aisha, is having friends who are and who have had, who are different than you, or who have had different mm-hmm. lived experiences than you, who don't match mm-hmm. your identity, cultural identity, like bar for bar, right, who right. can teach something very different, can expose you to something very different, can challenge you in ways that, you know, um, that you've not experienced before. Even that, um, yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard that called white people shit, but like that is, that's just not, I think, the norm in the community. Yeah. I mean, just access and exposure, having access to things, whether you end up liking it or not, uh, being exposed to something makes a difference in in lots of areas of your life, you know? And if traveling was something that I never did as a kid because we just didn't have access to travel, I'm either going to be someone who has like great big curiosity about travel and as soon as I can, I'll want to do it or I'll be someone who's like, oh, traveling's not something that I like because I don't have anything to give me a reason to think that I do like that. And I feel very confident that I was given messages like we don't do that. Like we don't okay. do, you know, I mean, we, we all hear the, um, you know, well, so just because such and such as mama said, blah, blah, blah. Well, that works in, that works both ways. Right. So whether it's discipline or whether it's opportunity, you know, that's, yeah. you know, just because such and such has this doesn't mean you can too. Yeah. Like those are direct messages that have been encoded into me. Direct messages. I, I will share <laughs> a fun story. I hope one day my sister listens to this episode, but when I was probably around eight, nine, ten years old, um, I came home in the middle of a really, you know, arduous play session. It was probably, is it after school or during summer break? And so if I'm like 10, that means that she's like in her mid-20s, early to mid-20s. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she probably meets me at the front door. Maybe she has to unlock it for me because it's probably locked because there's a deadbolt, obviously. And she looks down and sees that I'm barefoot and she is like disgusted. Okay, like you <laughs> see the disgust and the disdain on her face. And she was like, where are your shoes? And I was like shrinking, right? Like, ugh. And she was like, uh-uh, no, absolutely not. Like, that that is some white people shit. We do not do that. That is how you get worms, and that is the, and she just like laid into me and like created the fear 
of all the things that I was supposed to be terrified about around that behavior to where like it that does not happen like it never happened again right like I, I don't know that I have ever walked around barefoot outside again maybe like at the beach right like I mm-hmm. went from not even like being in the barefoot and I had my shoes and then when I got to the concrete like I dusted my feet up and then put my shoes on immediately even though my feet were completely already disgusting already but like I've, I've like probably never again since that time Unless it's in my own mom, my own mom's backyard, walked around barefoot on the ground because, like, she very clearly told me that that's not for you. That is for them, and you can leave that with them because I was absolutely running around with a bunch of little white kids outside in the front yard. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, there are there's some very clear and direct messages to shape your behavior, to keep you safe, to keep you healthy, to keep you alive, keep you in line, right? So, um, yeah, I agree. I agree. And they got it. Your sister's a, a generation ahead of you. And our parents certainly even a generation ahead of that. I think that in some cases we got it somewhat subtly. They got it very directly. You know. Very directly. Yeah. My my parents yeah, were agree. born in the 50s. They got they got direct yeah. messages. This is not for you. And that belief mm-hmm. translated into them subtly and sometimes not so subtly saying this isn't for you. I feel like there, there's a different way to say that just because such and such have, has it doesn't mean you can have it. So yeah. I'm sorry, we can't afford that. And when we can, I will try to get you one. You know, like that's a, that's a different message than you can't have what everybody else has, you know? Yeah, because like Miss Aisha, that, <laughs> sorry, that sounded too much like them owning and not like rejecting right. their shame because that, that statement is like, we don't have it sounds too much like to me like they would be embarrassed that they didn't have it and so putting that on you is more is, right. is, is a lot instead easier. the message was you don't deserve it yeah let me beat it out of you that you should ever ask for anything again because I I, I don't want to have to feel ashamed that I can't provide that for you, you don't think you don't think right. I feel bad enough already you right. know it's exactly. that type of but, yeah no I agree there was far more shame and deterring kids from things that, you know, parents couldn't provide or didn't know about or weren't confident mm-hmm. about um, sisters upbringing than, than, than what I experienced directly. Um, a lot of, so a lot of my messaging growing up was more about like separating it between like Jamaican and American stuff. Like, oh, we, oh, I got that American. for sure. I got a lot of that. So what they weren't Slender saying. Slender parties people, they were, were American. Say that again? I said slumber parties. Slumber parties were American. Speaking with, with contractions in my childhood was American. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I wasn't. I didn't say, huh? I was the only little second grader out there saying, "Come again." <laughs> Beg your pardon. Beg your pardon. <laughs> Speaking the Queen's English, okay? So don't even trip. Yeah, they were serious about that American shit and versus Jamaican shit, and I'd be like, "Well, wait, am I? I was born here, so I'm an American. So I'm, what?" What are we saying? You know, very confused. Right, right. So yeah, my family wasn't directly saying that's white people shit until I got a little bit older. But they were saying it because they were differentiating between American and Jamaican. And that is very clearly, you know, for them, white and black. So yeah. Yeah. And and so now in this age, in at this age where I am now, white people shit sounds like um sounds like, you know, hiking <laughs> uh and camping. Um, sounds like, uh, you know, traveling for some of my friends, um, you know, 
sounds like, you know, getting a master's degree, you know, for some anyways, not all of them, mm-hmm. but for some of them. Um, sounds like having a dog that lives inside my house with me. You know, she does not get on the furniture or in my Ooh, bed. Yeah. Never, ever, ever. That for sure to me is still white people shit. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm just, that's just going to be a thing. I love her. That's fine. You know, she has a very comfortable bed. She has multiple. It's fine. Um, white people shit. Uh, I don't know. Having a hard time coming up with lots of yeah, other I'm, things. I'm thinking but, of it in terms of, I'm really thinking of it in terms of the positive things that that we have convinced ourselves. I mean, there's definitely some other stuff, but the positive things that we have convinced ourselves is not ours. Uh, like you said, like hiking and camping. Although I have this not well thought out theory about like not wearing shoes and camping and stuff like that. I wonder if that has anything to do with poverty and like people who grow up not having much feeling like this is just an extension of not having much like why do I want to go play poor because that's what it feels mm-hmm. like to me going to sleep on the ground or not wearing shoes and stuff like that are I don't know mm-hmm. not a well thought out theory but it's in my it's floating in my head so I'm gonna say it out loud but for me I'm thinking about the whole quote-unquote white people shit as luxury privilege yeah. opportunity and yeah and that, and and convincing myself that I shouldn't have luxury or privilege or opportunity because it's not for me. Yeah, and so that's that's what came to my mind when you were talking about camping, and I was like, well, just even the fact that somebody would go do this for like recreation, like recreation is like a, a, a status, you know, a status symbol, a, right. a mark of privilege. I would have time or availability to not be working and earning more income by being out in the wilderness just like looking up at the sky you know or up into the horizon um so yeah some of it you know maybe like harkens back to poverty but more importantly but even the thought that I would be not productive in my life you know as far as like income goes and out here just like for my leisure leisurely activities is is a privilege that's not afforded to me that's a whole nother conversation this idea that like rest leisure self-care are lazy or undeserved or like hustle 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 all the time and if you're not then you're being a bad human or a bad someone going to see why people should right Mm -hmm. definitely for lots of people still 100 percent going to see white people, I'm going to see a therapist, white people should, uh, taking some type of antidepressant or anti-anxiety yeah. medication, white people should. Right? Yeah. yeah. Going to the dentist regularly, white people should. Yes. Yeah. I didn't go to the dentist for the first time until I was 19. 19. My kids were in the dentist like with their first first tooth, like 18 months, my kids were in the dentist. I, I, yeah. I'm pretty sure I was like 19. And the dentist was like, bitch, where you been? <laughs> where you been? Where have you been? Yeah. I, I want to move in a direction of deciding, you know, what I'm interested in versus having society 
or convincing myself that society has decided for me what I am and aren't interested in. And again, I'm not talking about real life trauma, like real life fear, like, you know, some black folks aversion to open waters. Like that's a different story. I'm talking about me thinking about what am I interested in? And when I tell myself that I'm not going to do it, is that because I have convinced myself that I actually don't want to do it? Or is that a truth that is just not, for whatever reason, the access isn't actually there. So I started yeah. without being asked, thinking about like, what, are, what do I want to leave the people with? And I don't know if I like what I said just yet. So I'm going to think about it a little bit more. And I'm going to have you start with what you want to leave the people with. Yeah. Um, you know, it makes me, when I think about the questions that I want to you know, continue this conversation in is more about asking people, it's always ask, about asking people to tap in and ask themselves, ask themselves why they don't want to do something or why they're yucking something that might be somebody else's yum, especially if they've never tried it before. So for instance, you know, like I've tried okra more than once and I know that it's not for me. It's not for me. Not for me either. Um, right. I don't, hate watermelon but I don't love it so I can just like do with none of it you know I know I know I know it's I know I know it's a thing people love it it's a vibe not my vibe um but there are plenty of people that are very comfortable with like you know and and being completely off put by something that lots of other people get down with and their lives are improved for it and they are they're not quite sure why they don't want to engage with it besides the fact that it's been deemed white people shit. And I wonder if they, you know, why, where'd that come from? Is that your own original thought or idea? Um, why haven't you at least tried it before you've decided it's not for you? Yeah. Do you ever stop to think that maybe you were convinced to believe that it wasn't for you so that it, somebody else could have all of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you successfully being manipulated out of something? <laughs> exactly. And and to what extent are you currently manipulating yourself out of it? Like we, we've established that we've gotten some messages um, and those aren't easily undone. So I'm not, I don't want to pretend like it's just, like I said, all in our heads. That's not successfully undone. But are you making any specific efforts to undo negative messages that no longer serve you? Like the message that I don't have access to quote unquote white people shit, which I have defined as positive luxury, self-care, yeah. you know, opportunity, you know, Restful, is, yeah. does that Lecture. message, yeah, exactly. Health, wellness, does that still serve me? And if it doesn't, um, am I just going to talk about it or am I actually going to do something with that? Mm, brand. Like that, I love that. I gotta, I gotta figure out though. What do I actually want to do? Because I feel like I have absolutely successfully convinced myself that I just don't want certain things, yeah. and and maybe that's not a hundred percent true. I don't think that I want to travel internationally alone. I don't think that I want to do that. But I do okay, think we're gonna that I want to alone, alone together. Yes, that that works. I can do alone together. I, I do think that something that I would want is to rent a beach house 
to go to by myself for three days to maybe write or maybe sit on the beach and stuff like that. Like that would be in my head, like that's a white lady thing. I could see a white lady doing that with a big ass hat and a flowy white dress and stand. like yeah. I could see that, but I could see myself yeah. doing that too. Like that I want to do, you know, is to take some time for myself. Yeah. Uh, investing in property. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to yeah. do that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I may have convinced myself that that's not something my people do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get to decide what, what our people do, right? Like we are also creating history right now. We are setting precedent for generations below right. us. We're Absolutely. not just looking to the future. Like we have now become the future that, you know, people will be mapping themselves off of and uh, judging success. So, yeah. What, you, what Mark, what do you... What's on the list of white people shit that you want to reclaim for yourself? I like that question. Tell us, people. Please interact with us. Let us know. What's on the list of white that you regularly get down with or maybe something that you want to reclaim for you that's not just for them uh, or never should have been just for them? Let us know. Drop us a comment. Please leave us a review. Share us with your favorite friends. Share share us with your frenemies. Uh, We'll take it. (laughs) <laughs> until next share something <laughs> you don't like right make a list and share it we love that it was a pleasure Miss Aisha always a good talk friend I will uh, catch you on the flip side take care bye Now you know that was better than journaling. So go ahead and give us a five-star review and share us with your friends.